look, I was lying about the dinner. I was lying about the movie. We're just going to go kill the author of the book. So would you get dressed, please? Welcome to Book Show, a show about books with Jacob, John, and Kevin. Season one is all about Philip K. Dick until we get tired of him. Today, the man in the high castle. John, you've been telling me about Philip K. Dick for like 15 years. Uh, Frederick Jameson called him the Shakespeare science fiction. And Philip K. Dick, in return, told the FBI that Frederick Jameson was a commie spy. <laughs> and a lot of people said Philip K. Dick was the inspiration for Kilgore. Well, one of the inspirations for Kilgore, Trout, uh, and Kurt Vonnegut. The other inspiration was Theodore Sturgeon, right? Sturgeon, Trout, you can see the thing. But this idea that Philip K. Dick was this very, very prolific science fiction writer who had like amazing, really influential ideas, not a lot of recognition in his time, and like, you know, ultimately, you know, died in pretty like sad circumstances that's what's interesting to me is this idea that he's um i had always heard that uh he's got cool ideas but he's not that good at executing them that's kind of how i was he was described to me and i kind of ignored it because i don't really read a lot of science fiction and that didn't sound very fun um but then i picked up this book for a dollar and i said well i'll give it a try and like i was he's actually a lot better than i was expecting like there are characters, there's like complex storylines. So I, I've, I've probably described them to you like that. I, I've read a lot of Philip K. Dick books and they all like bleed together in my head. I can barely remember what half of them are. But yeah, I, but it's kind of this idea that because he was such a pulpy writer that he would just like churn these books out. So like if you read enough of them, you'll see like the same sort of characters and like almost like scenes and descriptions reused. But he is, he is a good writer. Like he can really write really well. And like... His brand of science fiction is really of its time. Like it's really that like pulpy, really bold ideas kind of uh, science fiction that like I think is like it's still like popular now in a way. Like it's kind of kitschy. Well, he's kind of like uh, my sense is like he's almost like the kind of like I don't think he's credited with kind of inventing cyberpunk, but he's kind of the thing right before cyberpunk that I think cyberpunk kind of runs away with, right? This kind of sort of like paranoia about government and like there's a future, but it's gone wrong. And this kind of like, you know, questions about reality and all that stuff. It's not just like we're inventing cool ray guns and going to space, you know? It's like, it's like there's this kind of like, uh, he's taken the technology and he's put it into this like, you know, very like sort of like frantic reality that's very stressful and people have jobs and they run out of money and stuff, you know? I think he did do a couple of those books, though, I was reading, like, before before this one came out, like, I think early in his career, he did a couple, like, big flop literary novels, and then he did a couple, like, super I think, I think I, ones. I think he had literary aspirations, and he was definitely, yeah. if you read his books now, there's some, some cyberpunk elements, like that skepticism of government, and, like, sort of, like, maybe urban elements, but it's not quite cyberpunk, but that, like, Blade Runner, you know, in, you know inspired by Do Androids, Dreaming Electric Sheep, is, like, with, I mean, without a doubt, like, one of the quintessential cyberpunk, you know, pieces of art. But the aesthetic in the book, in the movie, I find it like very different, you know? Um, it's not like William Gibson or like uh, um, Snow Crash guy. What's his name? Neil Stevenson. Yeah, Neil Stevenson. It's not the same <laughs> kind of uh, cyberpunk um, like aesthetic. Right. He does have the aesthetic down, but he has the themes, I think is what I would say. Like it's, it's different stylistically, but it's. Uh, I would say he touches on some of the too. themes, but he also does have like some of like the ray gun, like crazy aliens kind of stuff like he does have all that what's always like what always amazes me about like Philip K. Dicto when I read him and I like the most is like he won't 
sometimes it's not like enough to have like one crazy concept. You'll just like toss in a ton. Like in this book, for example, like, I mean, we'll talk about it. It's kind of a lighter example, but I use it anyways. But like, it's an alternative history where the Nazis and the Japanese win World War II. Sorry, what's the title of this book? Have we even said what we're reading? Right, sorry, we're talking about the Man in the High Castle. (laughs) What I was going to say is the initial premise of this book that the uh, Germans and Japanese, the Axis powers win World War II. And it's like alternative history. Like that's enough to propel the book. But then he's also like, he's not satisfied. He like has to throw in like a metafictional, like weird alternate like reality kind of thing at the end. And like, it's kind of like that in like um, some of his other books, like they'll have like a crazy concept. And then he's like, also people can read your mind. Like, and also there's time travel. And like people have accepted this as like a thing that just we have. Like it's like, it's fun, man. It's great. The basic premise of this book, as John introduced, is this takes place in like 1960s USA, except it's, you know, not 15 to 17 years after the Allies won the war. It's 15 to 17 years after the Axis won the war. So it follows, uh, you know, several characters throughout what is now like a, a divided United States where you've got a sort of Western zone under Japanese control. You've got a central kind of like lawless zone, which is just like they didn't bother taken over the mountains so like americans could just kind of be free range over there and then the east coast you have like basically like third reich has taken over the eastern seaboard and what you have are these characters who represent you know various parts of these sort of three areas uh in this alternative history um who uh you know for one way or another start finding out about this book called the grasshopper lies heavy which in the man in the high castles universe people are reading uh about a alternative history where the allies won the war but of course it's also different from the actual facts of what happened in our reality if in fact we are in the correct reality so, so, that's what i love i love the fact of, that he small point of contention sorry kevin yeah i think the united states is divided into four parts like the reich has like two separate parts the divide oh that's right there's a slavery zone between the south and uh the united states of america which is just like the northeast and at one point um uh, uh, <laughs> Frank Frank uh, is talking, but he's thinking about where he could run away to to get rid of the Pacific States, and he's like, "Oh man, not the South. The South is too horrible at this point. It's just like this, like horrible, super racist area now, or something." It's a slavery genocide zone. I think Frank Frank. So that was so like it was so funny. I was reading this book. I was kind of getting into it, and then it's just like Frank Frank sat up in his bed, and I was like, "Who the fuck <laughs> named someone Frank Frank?" And the funny thing is, so this guy's a Jesus. <laughs> He's a Jewish yeah. guy who's trying to hide his Jewishness. So his name was Fink. And he's like, I know what I'll do. I'll change it to Frank. You got to hide in plain <laughs> sight. Like, well, why not like why not like Frank McCabe or Frank Johnson? It's like, nah, Frank. Yeah, yeah, it could be too, like. too obvious. You know, all the Johnsons yeah. were round up as suspect <laughs> Jews, crypto Jews. <laughs> um, Childen, I think, is a super interesting character. I think he's got to like, maybe the meatiest character in the book. Chil- guy, yeah, I don't know how much we have to like explain context. I don't know. Um, He's the antique mm-hmm. shop owner who is selling. Yeah, uh, what what he thinks, what he 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 sort of lies to himself. It's not clear if he's delusional or if he actually believes it. He's the colonial. Yeah, he's subject. selling uh, trinkets for like sort of like American kit to like rich Japanese Americana. people. Yeah, yeah, he's selling Americana stuff. That's now like it's it's like selling you know like indigenous artifacts essentially. Should we should we do like a summary hip. and t- or talk about like the main the main characters or something? Like should we talk about Childan? Nah. Childan is like That's what we're doing. Chill, chill, chill. Okay, let's talk about Childan. Okay, right Childan. Was, was, uh, I Childan's plots. I mean, I like almost all the plots in this, except for maybe um, no, even that. I like Juliana's or Julie. What's her name? Juliana? Julie? 
Yeah, Juliana Frank. Yeah, it's kind of like a thriller Frank, plot. But, but Childan is amazing because he is the colonial subject. Like he's like he's internalized his like yeah. lesserness as a uh, American. He even in in the, can we talk about the the prose that, that that Dick uses? What did you guys notice about yeah. the stilted language? It's almost like yeah. you know, like they drop some um like articles and like some stuff and some big pronouns, I think, too. Yeah, I couldn't tell at first if he was like, if there was like a weird approximation of, of Japanese use of English or if it was just bad prose. I, th- I think it's <laughs> a weird approximation. I think it's like if you use like a really like Alta Vista translator on Japanese to English, <laughs> like this is what you get. And I think like he's talking <laughs> like that because that's what he sees the English that his like Japanese superiors are speaking to him and then they internalize it. Like Tagomi has a similar sort of language, but like, uh, but Frank and Juliana don't. Right. And I think that was like, yeah. actually, it's kind of a, I don't know. I don't know how accurate that is. Like linguistically, because I don't, I'm not a Japanese speaker or anything, but it's, it's kind of, it's kind of ambitious part on, on the pros of, of, uh, of old PKD here. Oh, yeah. you know? He takes some swings in this book. The children thing's interesting. Cause he's like, yeah, as you're saying, the colonial subject where it's like he kind of supports a lot of the German things. He's like, ah, oh, this is a very, he kind of talks about it's a very orderly society, and he says like spirit. he hates black, black music. Like he clearly is like quite racist himself. Um, but then yeah, like he kind of hates himself. He's just like he's just like very confused and lost. Well, he's he's anxious, most, right? When he goes to get yeah. um, tea with the Japanese couple, the Kasuras, they're like these bougie, like, like, like people, they want this like authentic experience. I'm doing air quotes. I realize this is being recorded. Um, They want this like authentic experience, but he initially just wants to give them what he thinks they want, which is like the American kitsch and stuff like that. And when they're disappointed, he's confused. He doesn't know how to respond to it. And then he gets angry at them, right? Like, that was really cool. Jacob, tell us about it. Well, yeah. So it's like you're saying, he's going there and, like, his whole job is sucking up to people. It's basically, like, he's kind of like a a sycophant to his, his, you know, wealthy Japanese customers. But then he has this interesting meeting with the Kasuras where they tell him about The Grasshopper Lies Heavy, this book where Japan lost the war and it's funny like he gets defensive about it even though he's the white guy he's like that would be terrible why would we no like i don't believe it he's like that book sucks and then then they're like no we're reading it it's like really good and the casuras are like trying to sell him on this like fantastical sci-fi book that they think is interesting and he just gets like more and more upset and realizes that he's kind of like embarrassing himself because he's becoming so like hostile to them in their own home um yeah and like you said he has this kind of very confused relationship where on the one hand he's like oh if i make a big sale here and i like get in their good graces you know like that i'm set for life but then at the same time he's like you know maybe mrs kasura is like kind of into me like maybe i could like make a move on her and that'll be good for business you know <laughs> like, and then at the same time they're trying to yeah yeah he's like he's he does this like he does this like um uh yeah exoticizes her and he, he has this like kind of like it's like very ambivalent in the psychological sense of like he both like hates them and fears them and loves them all at the same time and it's all wrapped up together He's racist. Yeah. At one point, he says he can't. He still can't tell them apart. He says he can't tell the Japanese <laughs> apart. He says there were the short squat ones, but like wrestlers, and then there were the, the druggist like ones, the tree shrub flower gardener ones. And he's like, and he says he had his categories. Like he is, yeah. he is like the colonial subject, and he's like racist against them. And when he starts like doing the lip service for like all oh, the Germans did the right thing, and like you know the Axis powers are better, he's like that's what he has to do to survive, right? And then they're like, that's yeah, not what yeah. they want. 
they're they're I, the scenes with him and them but are they're the also best. like uh, yeah because they're also kind of condescending towards him in a way like it's kind yeah. of interesting and, and that's what i found it that, that's kind of like my, my one of my first reactions to this book it's kind of like you know when do the right thing there's that scene it's just like a super cut of a bunch of people of different races like screaming racist words about yeah, about other races yeah and like there's, there's kind of an aspect of this to that that i think is it's probably kind of realistic like if the whole world's been you know rearranged i found it really realistic according yeah like if your whole world's being rearranged <laughs> according to race it's like yeah. naturally you know there'd be a lot of this weird racial hatred and because there's this aspect too of paul the japanese guy like like kind of pitying him and you know like you could tell like like he like he's yeah. like a young cosmopolitan guy who like oh like i'm friends yeah. with a white guy i'm cool i'm not racist but then you could tell like he's he actually so racist of chill dad as, as like a lesser <laughs> being this yeah my 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 yeah my favorite scene like in the book maybe is when um chill dan goes to paul after uh trying to give him the piece of jewelry that uh Ed Frank, the Ed Frank, uh, is it Frank Ed or Ed Frank? <laughs> Ed Frank, Frank. Ed Frank no, but the company. Oh they yeah, make. McCarthy and Frank. Ed Frank. But Ed they call Frank the company, company like Ed Frank or something. Ed Frank, yeah. yeah. Which and like he yeah. gives uh, Paul the piece of jewelry, and he's hoping that Paul gives it to his wife, and he has this like you know almost like erotic dream about it, and then Paul like, well, tell us about it. <laughs> well, this is I think actually Paul comes back to the store. And and Tilden is like, oh man, like what's going on here? And there's this like really interesting sort of cat and mouse thing where they have it's this not conversation. Not a story. Where, it's yeah. at Paul's office. Oh, sorry, that's right. It's at Paul's office. Okay, yeah. So I was I knew it wasn't the home, but he calls him in and he's like, he's like, all right, Tilden, we got we got to talk about this. And there's this really amazing sort of cat and mouse scene where it's from Tilden's perspective, but um, the way the conversation goes from like one part of it to the next, it's unclear if Paul Kasura is telling him like yeah, this sucks. This is, like, absolute trash. Like, why did you give this to me? But also, on the other hand, kind of being like, no, like, this is this stuff made by, like, contemporary Americans has its own, I think he calls it woo. He says it has its own kind of, like, aura or something like that. And then he gives him this offer where he's like, look, I can't buy these from you, children, because that would disgrace me. However, we can sell the designs to, like, a factory in Japan that will then mass-produce these as, like, trinkets, basically, just to, like, hand out to people as, like, very cheap mass-produced garbage. But this would make you very, very rich. And then children goes through this whole thing where he's, like, trying to figure out if Paul is, like, doing him a favor or not. And, and that's also like, and that's also like a really funny scene as well. And it's like really good. But I think the tension is also very good in that scene where like Tilden is thinking through this offer that Paul has just made him. Um, and then he ends up, I think at first accepting and then backing out after when he realizes that Paul is actually like mortally insulting him. Cause he's basically what Paul is saying between the lines is you Americans are actually incapable of making unique art you're actually too inferior so the best you can do is like sell us these designs and we'll mass produce them but like nothing you guys ever make would be like a specialty store item that i would no, pay but it's, for it's my even family more complex <laughs> than that i think I, I mean i think everything you said is like absolutely correct but it's it's more complex than that because uh Childan gives him gives paul this this trinket and and paul and his friends like decide that this trinket is actually like very unique and special. And Paul is like, this is actually really cool. It's, it's, it's new. There's something special about this. And then he's like, you could mass produce this. And immediately chill down. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be rich, which is amazing. Right. But then Paul was yeah. like, but if you do that, you're going to ruin the specialness of this. And you're like selling out. And children is like, he doesn't know how to react because he's never been in this situation. Children has been selling fake 
antique merchandise his entire life, right? And he only gets <laughs> upset when people might figure it out. But he knows what he's doing and he knows it's bullshit, right? So he doesn't care about integrity and authenticity rights and stuff like that. But faced in the disapproving glare of Paul, who's like, who's, Paul sets him up as like, basically, you can be very American right now and try and get rich. And then you'll ruin the specialness of this thing you created. Or you can be, you could show integrity and like not get rich and try and sell these things. <laughs> and Chill then immediately is like, his first response is, I'm going to get rich. This is great. You know, like what a success. But then he's like, oh no, oh no, I'm not, I'm doing this wrong. And he's like, I have to show that I have integrity with this guy. And then he's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get rich instead, which is just what he wants. And the other thing is he didn't make yeah. this piece of jewelry. He didn't want it. Yes, no. He was trying to scam the other people. So he can't even claim responsibility for this. So he's just doing the show of integrity. So in a way it's treating Paul Wright that these Americans are just like these <laughs> vapid, you know, superficial, uh, vacuous people. But then, but then but it's like, it's my best, it's my favorite scene because I have yeah. ident- I've identified so hard with Chill Dan. Like, but he, but he does get like, indignant. I mean, like, I've never like... And then like, and like kind what? of solidifies his view. And then he, he finds in this thing like a new way forward. And he kind of loses all of that hazy self-hatred that he had. And he's like, I'm now I identify like a contemporary yeah. American culture so exists. Yeah. But he but he's like <laughs> defending... He's trying to get this like air, this like vision that he has integrity. But he, he knows he has no integrity. He has none. I mean, the funny thing, too, which just occurs to me at the point, which we haven't explained, is like, so Frank Frank and his partner, who were um, making the forged American objects that children had been selling, are the ones who make this, like, authentic new thing. So it's actually made by the same guys who made, like, the forgeries. Yeah. Yeah. They're just not pretending it's from, like, the Civil War anymore. And yeah. it's made by so, a can we Jewish just- guy. Right. And it also later on has the power to break the fabric of reality and transport Gomi <laughs> to an alternate dimension. Right. To the 60s California. But no, what I wanted to say is like, can we back up for a moment? Because I think there's something important here with like the whole chill dance scene, which is that um, it has to do with the kind of like, there's like a past, present, and future that people are kind of reading or creating in this book. So you've got like a multiple characters like Frank Frank and uh, Tagomi are consulting the, the I Ching. And I think Childan does as well. And this is like this book they read to tell them the future. You know, they like read the signs and they're like following the I Ching as a way of like, here's how I should act. And it's like really constraining. And then at the same time, you have this other subplot, which is like the, the people who are basically forging the past, which is like the Ed Frank jewelers and Childan, who are kind of creating this kind of like um, fake american culture to sell to people which is also wrong and like doesn't really exist but then in the present they have this grasshopper lies heavy book which is showing them like actually there is another way to this reality you're in which is very constrained both by the fact that you're like forced to like reinvent this past in this really hokey way uh and you're stuck reading this stupid book all the time which tells you everything you're allowed to do but keeps you in this kind of cage right and i think that's kind of like what's going on with the chill dance scene is i agree with uh kevin's interpretation there where like you know he, like chill then goes through all the phases of like you know like trying to save his self-respect but i feel like where he ultimately lands is like he's like oh no like this American sort of handmade jewelry is actually like a different future than just me sucking up to Japanese people and hoping to God no one finds out that my entire merchandise is forged by Americans, you know? And I think that's kind of like the interesting, there's like that sort of interesting interplay between, you know, like how time uh, is experienced by the characters in that book and like what history is to uh, Philip K. Dick in this novel. Yeah, I have more to say about the I Ching, but it ties into the end, so I'll save that for later. 
That's right. a good point about uh, history and this like break with history and this like this uh, this 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 nostalgia that the Japanese have almost as like tourists here for old timey Americana. And yeah, yeah, it's cool. Well, I think that's why Tagomi gets like warped into 60s USA where they won the war because he like touches this thing that was made by a sort of American person like acting independently. So Tagomi, what is he's like? He's like, a, he, what, what is he? He's like the Japanese yeah, consulate. Exactly. To the, so the Pacific, what are they called? The Pacific States of America, Pacific United States, right. whatever. They're run by like a puppet white government. And he's like the Japanese consulate of some sort who's actually kind of like the Japanese is actually running and he's kind of their, their man in uh, San Francisco, right? Are they run by a puppet white government? I thought the, the, the Reich ones, like the United States were run by a puppet white government. Whatever they're called. I was just rereading this. Yeah. The Panoclies. I don't know how to pronounce that, but there's like a fake white government, but it's really controlled by Japan. But I think they have like more rights than, yeah. So anyways, and he's some sort of high, high, high ranking, ambassador or something yeah it's like a high level bureaucrat yeah. basically yeah and he gets his hands on this thing i forget how he's how does he get it he goes to chill down okay at the end of the book he's upset because he he used the revolver like like clint eastwood and killed the two sd uh secret police officers that come to um <laughs> arrest baines who's actually baines, uh, yeah. an abwer which i looked up which is like a german uh secret service that um Hitler didn't like because he felt they were like uh, pre Third Reich. I think I mean I, my German history is not very good, and um, no. so Bain is actually I forget what his real name is, but uh, they come to they come to capture Bain and or kill him. And Tagomi, um, like like a cowboy and supposed to be specifically like a cowboy, basically uses a <laughs> six shooter to kill them. But he's so upset by it that he ends up going to Childen's store to return the gun. And Childan won't accept it because it's a fake. <laughs> and um, then he sees one of the pieces of jewelry and he ends up getting it. And then he he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And he's really upset. He's upset for numerous reasons, but he's really upset that he doesn't. He's he's, he's trying to analyze this 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 piece of jewelry to get you know a reason to keep living. And uh, he throws it away at one point. I think that's when he has the vision. He like throws it. He gets like so frustrated with this thing where he's like, what is this? Is this garbage? Is this brilliant? Like, I don't know. And he's just like wandering around. He's having a bit of like a panic attack, you might say. Um, and then he, yeah. And then he like throws it away and then he looks up and instead of it being like, you know, in urban planning terms, he's much better, you know, trams and stuff like that and bikes everywhere. There's a huge highway and these like Americans eating sandwiches at a bar. Um, and then he's like, what is going on with this? My God. And and they and they're racist to him. Yeah, yeah. There's no yeah. petty, and all all the all the Chinese petty grab drivers have disappeared. And then he's like, goes and no, none of the white people will give see, a seat at the time here for him. He sees the Embar Cadero yeah. Freeway, which I looked up, and apparently is yeah. People hate this thing. And one of one of the Togomi sees it. And he says, "I never saw it before." And a passing man says, "Awful, ain't it?" That's the Embarcado Freeway. A lot of people think it sticks up the view. And that's a thing that exists in real life. So, so presumably that was built after the war. And this is like him him falling out of this this alternative Philip K. Dick reality and into our reality. He falls into the real 60s. He falls into real 60s San Francisco. That's what he falls into. And then he, he sees only cars and buses. Uh, like, like Jacob said, horrible urban planning, which is very funny. <laughs> and then he wanders into a restaurant um, where all the stools are taken up by white people. There's no Japanese people. And they 
none of them give him his seat, which is like really amazing to him. And he can't find yeah. the pedicabs at all. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's an amazing scene. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but I'm going to pose the question now. So is this a third alternate like reality? Is this our reality that he goes to? Or is it the reality in the grasshopper uh, lies heavy? I don't think it's, I think it's the reality in the grasshopper lies heavy because like my interpretation of what Dick is doing with history here is that he's really trying to like emphasize like the contingency of history of how like, you know, oh, like if FDR gets shot, like everything is different, you know, or if like, you know, it's really funny. He like summons a a guy from FDR's first cabinet who got like kicked out in 1936, like Rexford Tugwell, the crazy all-star name, all-star name, uh, Tugwell. He <laughs> like, the guy who succeeds FDR and stuff like that. Um, but I think what he's like really getting at is like, there's a lot of like contingency in history and that like, you know, if you're looking back on things, it has a tendency to seem as if it all had to happen that way. And what uh, is going on in the book though is, um, you know, all these characters are getting these like sort of subtle and not so subtle hints that actually they can change the direction of things if they sort of, you know, sort of abandon thinking of history as something that's kind of set in amber or something like that. Yeah. I have a lot to say about this, but I think maybe we should skip ahead to the end because I think all this stuff. Well, should we talk about together. Juliana then? Because we haven't really talked about her at all. Well, let's walk through that to because her storyline kind of takes us to the big revelation. This is the messiest part of the book, by the way. Like when we're talking about Philip K. Dick is kind of like a hack. Like I think the storyline is like not saying that it's bad exactly, but it's like there's a lot of seams are showing here. (laughs) Yeah. So what? Yeah. So she for for reasons that are unclear to me, she separated from Frank. Frank. (laughs) It was over the the jeweler. And she lives where in the Rocky Mountain states? Is yeah, that she's neutral? in neutral territory. Like, she's who's in Colorado. The government in the Rocky Mountain states. Okay, yeah, and she's just like running a yoga studio, and she's just like kind of no, it's a judo studio. Sorry, she's yes. doing martial arts. Yes, <laughs> and she, but her life's kind of aimless, right? Um, and then this handsome, dark, handsome stranger comes into town and charms her at the bar, and then they like start sleeping together. Does he say he's a trucker? He says he's an Italian trucker or something. Yeah, he's working. He's yeah, he's working with these truckers who are traveling from New York to San Francisco or something like that. Yeah, I don't. I forget where their destination is, but they've come from the East Coast. They're heading to the West Coast, and they stop at a diner. And she's trying to like eat her lunch there. Uh, She strikes up a conversation with this like Italian guy Joe, who's one of the truckers. Yeah, and then yeah, then they start a romance. Then he's like, "I'm going on the road," and she goes decides to go with him for again reasons that are not entirely clear. No, no, he 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 invites her. He says, "We're going to go to, um, I think Denver," and he says, "I'm going to show you like a good time." Right. He's like, "I have all this money," and he's like, "We're going to like I'm going to take you out. We're going to buy some clothes," and she's like, "Going to go along for like a really exciting time." Like that's what she wants. Yeah, and it seems like she's kind of yeah. taking him for a ride, right? Because then she's like, "Yeah, sure," and then she goes and like spends it. It's just like more clothes, well, more underwear, more. <laughs> well, she's kind of a she's kind of afraid of him too. Yeah. Like she's always she's always scared of him. There's always something weird about him. I mean, we we know that he brings her along because she satisfies a type, and they want to kill Abertson or Abbotson. Uh, what's his the name? Writer, Abertson, the guy yeah. who wrote the Grasshopper Lies. Yeah, author Abbotson. Because they and he ends up being wrong, but they they think the Nazis think that Abbotson actually lives in the High Castle, like a really you know heavily defended area, and they want to sneak in. 
it turns out just to be like a, just like a house in the summer cocktail party all the time <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah just just like a like a yeah like a like a 60s cocktail party like yeah well we skipped we skipped a little bit there where yeah so it's, yeah sorry sorry but that, right, that's sorry, why sorry. Go back. that's why juliana goes along with him yeah but it turns out he's actually a nazi hitman who's supposed to murder this the, the writer of this novel right he shows in the novel too like he has like a really well he has like a really well used copy of the novel and she's like oh what's that book and then she starts reading it on the drive and it, it sort of becomes clear over the course of the narrative like it's not clear to her she's just kind of like oh this like nice man's taking me out and we're spending a lot of money but there's something weird about him but it like sort of becomes clear that like you're saying he's like an assassin sent to kill the guy who wrote this book she's always a she's the book it's always like yeah. yeah she feels like kind of trapped yeah that's how that's how i read about it um he's actually i find, i i've I found it. I found him very scary. Yeah. But then she slits um, his throat with a razor. Hey, can we talk about him though for a second? This guy, Joe, because yeah. he talks about how he's, um, he was Italian and he was like an Italian commando basically. And he got up a heart and I looked up a lot of the names he mentioned. Um, and it's all like legit. But then when they go to Denver, well, he, he says gets hair, haircut and he gets a, the blonde haircut after. And it's like, turns out he was just like a Nazi pretending to be an Italian. And it's like, I felt I felt that part was kind of lame. Like it was kind of like they built up a lot of his history as this Italian. Like he talks about his brothers and stuff like that. And he's like, how he's like doesn't want to be a WAP anymore, and like all these things. Oh, sorry, can I say that? Um, uh, yeah, and I, I was I was kind of annoyed by that. That it's like all of a sudden he's not, you know? Yeah. It's also like it's kind of dumb because like why did why would he do that if he's like trying to lead her along and use her as like kind of bait to get into this guy's house? Why wouldn't he just keep up the charade the well, whole time? There's no respect for. Yeah, but why would? He, but still. Yeah, I think they. I mean, even Frank Frank like sort of references like. I mean, there's a bunch of issues with it. I think how like Juliana's character has been written, but like Frank references that he thinks she's like pretty stupid earlier in the book. Yeah. <laughs> like he just says like, oh, she wasn't the brightest. Well, he he uh, talks so about. He says she's a dumb look. Like she's a dumb look. I, I highlighted a description yeah. of her. And I think we're supposed to like, and I think her character, like the way that it's written, is supposed to be some combination of like a little bit of a dullard and also a little bit of like she's having some sort of like psychological crisis at the same time. So like she has this kind of like, like everything in her section has an air of unreality to it where like, you know, on the one hand, this guy's clearly a bad dude and she can tell that on some level, but she's still like sort of going along with it. She's like, well, how bad could he be? He just killed like a few British people, you know? And it's like, oh, well, you know, not everyone's Italian, it turns out, you know, why, why, would, why would that matter? Um, <laughs> it's only much later on when it becomes very clear that he's like, you know, because he needs her to like, uh, she, she wants to go out of the town and he starts getting frustrated because he's like no we're not actually going out of the town we're gonna go assassinate someone like he just gets like frustrated with her and, like loses his cool because we're going now like, we're going ah. now she's like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah basically he's like he's like no we're, we're going now i mean i, I mean not no i mean uh, uh fast in italian ah uh, no uh, <laughs> anyway um <laughs> he's sort of like he drops his character because he gets like frustrated with her uh and then he's just like look I was lying about the dinner. I was lying about the movie. We're just going to go kill the author of the book. So would you get dressed, please? And then they have this fight. She has this moment of clarity. Can we... Uh, Juliana is kind of interesting because the book in a lot of ways is really unfair to her. Like uh, like I mentioned before, I found the, the passage where Frank talks about her. He says, Juliana was the most beautiful woman he had ever married. So implying he's married to other women. <laughs> and then they say that uh, her, her look had a deep-dyed, otherwise concealed stupidity at her core. She had a way of greeting people that's plant-like, silent, and I'm on a mysterious errand way of coming and going. Like, 
it just is very insulting there but she's the one that like discerns the true nature of reality at one point you know well i think the ending is supposed to be like kind of uh redemptive for her you know like she she kills the nazi guy and then she goes to see like howard abinson and then like the, you know they have this whole conversation about the e ching and she sees that he's kind of just like living his own life just like hanging out and there's some like really funny descriptions but she shows up and meets his wife and she's like oh he's the tall guy with like the old-fashioned which i think it's one of the funniest ways to like identify someone at a party like you have to go like inspect all their drinks and be like oh Hawther, there's the old-fashioned that must be you <laughs> just like this guy you've like, never met before um and then, like, they sort of, and then he, like, humors her by being, like, fine, we'll, like, consult the Oracle, like, whatever, lady. Like, as long as you get out of my house, because you're, like, covered in blood. And you're, like, asking me, like, what you should be doing with your life, and I have no idea. Not by then. She had stayed in a motel, she cleaned up. Oh, sorry. They have this whole scene where she goes to the motel, she right. cleans up, she stays, and she talks about how she doesn't the right bra for the dress. And it's, like, really right. gratuitous. And she's, like, basically, like, I can't bend over, my boobs are going to fall out. And then, like... It's not like it's not like Chekhov's boobs where they come back later on. No, yeah, that Chekhov's yeah. shot that right. Yeah, it doesn't go anywhere. But there's a funny side too in that where they mentioned that like part of the reason her boobs are so big is because she does judo. They're like, yeah, like <laughs> it didn't used to be that big, but then she did all this judo. Yeah, there is a weird, uncomfortable thing, but all the yeah, all the women in this novel are like just kind of weird sexual objects. Yeah, which I sure. have a feeling maybe maybe may happen again in future Philip K. Dick's novels. Um, I remember yes. a lot of other books where he describes women as having like stupid looks, like they look stupid, but they're also like mean. And like, would you describe Juliana as stupid? Like, I no, don't not think at so. all. I don't think you call her stupid. No. She's definitely like really shook about after what happens to her. But so is yeah. Tagomi, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think the book is like really unfair to her uh, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So she finds the she finds the author and base and they like consult the I Ching to see. Um, why so it turns out that he wrote the book using the I Ching and then they're like but why and then he was like i can't <laughs> he's like i don't know because the, i have a royalties deal with the I Ching, <laughs> and if i ask <laughs> it why why it wrote the book for me i'll have to give up my royalties like what is that how is yeah. the I Ching making royalties from his book i don't know <laughs> anyways so she, I, so she I mean, asks. It just reflects it. like PKD's like obsession with royalties because yeah. he was poor. But. Yeah. So she consults it, and it's and it's like the inner truth. So she's like, oh, actually, the book, and she she comes to realize the book is the reality, and he's kind of like, yeah, he kind of like knew that, but it wouldn't accept it, and then his wife's just like, what's going on? And then Juliana walks into the night. So the freak, you know, when I when I read that, what did you guys? What was your reaction to that? Like at first. Reaction to what? To her to finding out that the grasshopper lies heavy was written by the I Ching. No, by finding that the that that she is living in the reality and the grasshopper lives heavy, maybe, or a reality that is not the where the Germans and Japanese lost the war. My reaction to that um, was really interesting because they say she's an unnatural mind, like she has this like ability to sort of like peer through our call lines in ten minutes. Hmm. I didn't know that there was a limit. Okay. I, I'm I'm more interested in the reaction about the I Ching wrote the book. Um, I, that was that was that was more amazing. Well, let's, to me. yeah, let's get to that in a second because I have other thoughts about that. But just the fact that the reality is not the reality that Real? everyone in the book thinks it is. Okay, so what's interesting to me is that the grasshopper lies heavy is not our reality. Like it's yeah. similar in that the yeah. eyes win, but it's different. And we could say that like maybe Hawthorne extrapolated the narrative endings wrong, but I don't think that's actually what's happening. I think what's happening is that. It's like a third reality. So we as the readers, we live in the world, obviously, where the Germans lost, right? But like the book is saying like there's more than one reality. Like 
like there's 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 the one where the germans and japanese win there's another one where they lose but it's like where a new cold war between england and britain happen england and the u.s you mean uh did i say england and britain i said yeah so i meant to say britain yeah, and the yeah. u.s happens yeah. which is like like wild right yeah and like uh think about it. and so it's like it's just, it's just like a this is an amazing sort of like idea <laughs> like there's like three realities happening and the third one is just by grace of the fact that we live in it and i would like to think that tagomi actually steps into our reality i like to think that within the book there's like three realities going on i think there may be but more i think there may be more oh, yeah, than three more. But, i think the tv show touches upon this i think the tv show is really big on that they like actually like go back and forth in dimensions i can't remember i only watched the first few episodes I haven't seen well, it. but when, it, when i read the ending at first i was just kind of like what like it was kind of like you know like like i've like the city in the city by china mayville is a book where like the, there's like a twist ending that kind of reframes the entire book that precedes it and like this wasn't that it was like oh actually we're moving this other reality that just like is completely inconsistent with the entire reality you've just experienced <laughs> um yeah, and at first I just it just felt kind of like cheap and lazy to me, but um, I don't know. I kind of like that that there's not Sorry, well, there's not one reality in the book did, itself. It's not like oh, I, I I didn't read it as that there like she was in a separate reality. I thought it was more like she has this conversation with him and he's sort of telling her like you know you can actually just kind of like do what you want, not be constrained by the e thing and like you know you don't have to because he's like talking about how like. He doesn't live in the high castle because he thinks they can get him anywhere anyway. Yeah. So he's just kind of like hanging out. He's like resigned himself to like, oh, well, you know, like can't worry about that noise, you know. So and then he's like, well, thank you for killing that guy. So I didn't get assassinated, but I didn't interpret it as they were actually in like a separate alternate history from the other characters. That's no, no, I, I don't think I don't think she I don't think they're in a separate history, but I think the I Ching is saying that there is a separate world. Like it's almost linking right. okay. to it, and then Tagomi going over there within the kind of proves its existence, but or she, proves the existence right. of alternate realities. But she is, or, you know, she she does. So Hawthorne and her do realize that they are living in a reality in which the Nazis and the Japanese lost the war, which is completely inconsistent with everything that comes before it in the book. No, don't they realize yeah. that they're living in like a long wrong reality? Like this is wrong. Like what's going on? It's wrong. And then, like, Hawthorne calls her, like, a demon or something. Calls her a demon. <laughs> I forget if it's Hawthorne or his wife calls her a demon. Hawthorne says, do you know what you are? He turned to Cal and stood beside him. This girl is a demon, a little cathonic spirit that... And then he, he cuts off and he says, that roams tirelessly over the face of the earth. She's doing what's instinctive to her, simply expressing her being. She didn't mean to show up here and do harm. It simply happened to her, just as the weather happens to us. I'm glad she came. I'm not sorry to find this out, this revelation she's had through the book. She didn't know what she was going to do here or find out. I think we're all of us lucky. So let's not be angry about it, okay? Like, like <laughs> what a weird response. Yeah, but look, so, okay, so he really, so, so he sit, when, when he sits with her and does the I Ching thing, she sits, she sits with him and does the I Ching thing, and it comes up that it's Chung Fu, which is inner truth. He says, it means, does it, that my book is true? Yes, she said. With anger, he said, Germany and Japan lost the war? Yes. Hawthorne then closed the two volumes and rose to his feet. He said nothing. Even you don't face it, Juliana said. So it's like, I think, like, in this in, in this version of it, she, yeah, this is like she is re either living in the book or in our reality. Well, he also says there hasn't been a Gestapo since 1947 as well at some point, which I was confused by. I just saw that now. So, like, it is actually very ambiguous, like, what is going on here. I think, I think what they have to face is that, like, there is no 
well, I think either they faces two things. One, there is no truth, or that like reality is this kind of like matrix like simulation, anyways, which kind of ties into a lot of his other books. This like idea of, like the simulacrum and stuff, you know what I mean? Um, but um, yeah, I found the passage you're talking about. It says she says with anger, he said, Germany and Japan lost the war. She says, Yes. Hawthorne then closes two volumes with defeat, like you said, and she said, and she says, even you don't face it. Yeah. I think what's facing is that like they're living in a fundamentally unreal place. But I, I think what Philip K. Dick in the book are also saying actually kind of ties into Philip K. Dick's like weird, like uh, theophanies and stuff that he had. I thought like God was like letting him see b- between realities and stuff that like reality doesn't exist. Like essentially. Yeah. Or this I, idea of history is like, it doesn't exist. And maybe it's about the, the fictionalization of it, like the narrative, but yeah. they are like, as Jacob mentioned, like they're obsessed with like, this book is obsessed with like, the historicity of things, you know, it's like fake idea of the past. And yeah. I, it, I And then going back to the I Ching thing, I think there's a way of reading it too, where because everyone's constantly consulting the I Ching throughout the book. And there's a reading of it where like, I think they are creating their own reality. Like this thing that's predicting the reality, the reality is actually creating reality as they're going along. It's true. Maybe there's it infinite create, realities. It also, it also creates this book, yeah. The Grasshopper Lies Heavy, which is a reality that is as fictional. Like it doesn't, it's as fictional as the one in Man in the High Castle. Like it's not what happened in reality. You know what's interesting? So there's like several histories, right? Like there's like the alternative history at the crux of this book. Then there's the, the history in Grasshopper Lies Heavy. Then there's our history. Then there's the obsession with the American, Americana that the Japanese are obsessed with. But then there's also the I Ching, which is like this thousands year old like Chinese book, right? Like it's like everyone's venerating here strangely. Yeah. yeah, weirdly too, because the like the Ch- Chinese people are kind of like the lowest of the low socially. Like all they all they can do it seems is drive pedicabs. Yeah, they actually use racist language against them too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess it's part of all the whole confusing, yeah. nonsensical racial hierarchy that's the book. What do you think about history in this book, Jacob? Like about about these things. What do you think? You mean like the, the historiography of it or like his like his interpretations of like where the world goes after 1945? It's like the Axis win. No, let's talk about that later possible. though because there's some really, really interesting things about that that I want to talk about. Namely that like <laughs> the Nazis could get to Mars, but they couldn't make television. Like, <laughs> yeah. right, only the Canadians like, could make television. Later. So funny. Yeah, but if you murder all the Jews, you don't yeah, get to Hollywood. Like... <laughs> I did not make that connection, Jonathan. Uh, it's like kind of a compliment. Uh, <laughs> but that's exactly what he says. Anyways, we'll talk about that. No, but the idea of like, um, I guess historiography. Historiography? I can't say it. History? Making history? Historicity? Yeah. Histori- Super history. Historis- history. Extra history. Sorry, I can't even talk. Mecca history. Um, <laughs> but like that idea and like, um, this is like this idea, almost idea of like nostalgia or like, uh, you know, this uh, aggrandizement of history or the fakeness of history. Like, what, what do you think about all that? Like the, the central revelation that um, the grasshopper lies heavy is like correct, you know, and the Japanese and well, it's not correct, but at least that's correct in that the Japanese and, and the Germans didn't win the war. My understanding is the inspiration for reading, for writing this book for him was he read like a counterfactual history of the American Civil War where like the Confederates, Confederates win, right? Um, and I think what he does here is interesting where I think he intentionally makes the grasshopper lies heavy wrong, right? So it's like kind of closer to our reality, but it's also wrong in a bunch of key respects. 
I think if this book were just a counterfactual history, it wouldn't be what it is, right? Like, that's kind of been done before, I think. I think there's, like, some crazy, like, I forget the guy's name, but I think there's an actual writer who just writes these, like, epic, like, thousand-page, like, counterfactual, you know, post-World War II histories and stuff like that. But, like, I think what PKD's doing here is um, he's sort of showing that, like, you know, there's a kind of lack of stability both in, or this is what he's trying to say, there's a lack of stability in terms of, like, actual recorded history um, and uh, that he doesn't think that that's, like, you know, almost like those kinds of historical practices where things are kind of, like, determined by things that came before is a good way to, like, look at history. So I think that's why he intentionally makes the grasshopper lies heavy wrong, um, which is to sort of remind us, like, yeah, like, things could have gone any number of ways. You know, it happened to have turned out the way it did. And when you talk about something like World War II, we're very lucky that, like, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was not assassinated because in some ways he was a kind of, like, you know, special character of history that, you know, if he didn't exist, it's unclear, you know, how the United States would have behaved in the war. Um, and I think what he's showing is like, yeah, like things can go slightly differently with like, you know, very unpredictable results. Um, and I think that's a kind of a more interesting thing than just like, oh, you know, like uh, maybe the Nazis could have won. That would have been swell or wild or whatever, you know, like I don't think he's really interested in that. I think he's more sort of saying like, um, you know, we should think of history as always being contingent, always being something that could have changed at any moment. Um, and so what that means for the present is that we should regard it the same way and not be kind of, um, you know, constrained. Like we shouldn't let the past constrain our options going into the future, which is like most tellingly kind of uh, illustrated by the Tilden thing where like, you know, don't like this fake bullshit Americana past like constrain your options as a person where you have to like grovel to Japanese people and not believe that like white people can do anything but it's, it's interesting kind of like I, th I think I think you're right it's like this alterity of history like this like fundamental randomness of it that like these 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 events if they just went one other way like if Churchill didn't die he becomes this like horrible Trump-like despot like they, they literally say that in the book, like grasshopper lies heavy, mm -hmm. like Churchill becomes well, so horrible. Well, even in the real world, he's kind of like that. Okay, but but okay. But what's interesting <laughs> is that what you're saying, if it's tr if it's if it's correct, what's interesting. But everyone is obsessed with this book, the Yi Ching, yeah. that gives them. I keep using the words obsessed, but they they like they're really focused on this book, the Yi Ching, that like gives them a uh, a system or like a heuristic to navigate the randomness and contingency of history by having like basically a magic eight ball that tells them where to yeah. go and they all find it like very freeing and satisfying maybe because it gives them this illusion of control which is probably right. also what i guess he's saying about reality and about these books and these narratives we create are basically just magic eight balls or e chains that lay this like framework on like these fundamentally random occurrences that completely shape how we live right like yeah. yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's 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 fun, right? Like that's great stuff. I love. Well, it's also just like the use of counterfactuals, is not just being like a fun other story, but it's like the illustration. You know, like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something terrible here. I'm gonna apologize preemptively for this. But like, if you read, you like, already Adam said Tuz's, historicity, so. Yeah, yeah, that was Sorry. Todd actually said that first. And he like butchered it. But uh, no, what I was gonna say is like if you read something like Adam Tuz's, uh history of like the Nazi war machine, this really great. Oh book, my of God, Mark! I know. I, I, I apologize. I know. I'm surprised. Tuz gang, right? 
Yeah, you should be surprised. I have amazing self-restraint. You know, I didn't consult the Oracle. You know, I really am taking the contingent moment to be like, I don't There's have to mention Charles Blog say about Man in the High Castle. No, I, I he probably has something to say about it. But uh, anyways, if you read his like history of like the Nazi war machine, like I think he uses counterfactual in that history to illustrate all kinds of other things, right? Where it's like he's he's both sort of like doing this kind of like review of like the sort of myths of the Nazi war machine. But like, if you read that, it's also really interesting too, just for the counterfactuals he uses. Um, and even though he's trying to sort of like say like, here's what actually happened. It, it's often very illustrate, you know, it, it adds a lot to the history to be like, here's, you know, some things that didn't have to happen. And when he talks specifically about like the fall of France in world war two, like to him, that's like a highly contingent event. Right. Where like, I think most people think of it as like, Oh, like, you know, the Germans were technologically advanced and they had the Blitzkrieg and like the poor French just like couldn't do anything about it. And in fact, like twos is like, well, actually what happened is like the French actually had a much bigger military and they had a more technologically advanced military, but like they just weren't expecting the Germans to pop up where they did. And because of that, it was like this sort of like tactical gambit that was like one in a million that happened to work. Uh, it led to like, like, you know, one of the biggest, you know, like the biggest nation on the continent, essentially, like falling out of the war in a way that like nobody expected. And I think that's like a much more interesting read of what happened than like, you know, I think a view of history that PKD has, ironically enough, which is like, I think he really thinks history is made by like a few special people at the top of the pyramid. You know? <laughs> like he's like really focused on this whole like thing with like the German Reich and like, they're like, oh, Bormann's dying. So like now we're going to pick someone else and like that's going to change everything. And, you know. Anyway, it's. Uh... I think there's also a counter to that in Tagomi's in the ending of Tagomi's story, where like after he's had his kind of mental breakdown, and then I forget exactly the sequence of events, but they someone's discovered that Frank Frank is Jewish, and they want to export him to Germany, which right. he knows means he'll be executed for being Jewish. And he just like he's just like had it with the Nazis, and he just like refuses to sign the extradition papers, so they can't like do this bureaucratic thing and kill this guy. And it's just kind of like this like he kind of sends his career out in flames in order to save one person. And I thought that was also kind of an interesting. Um, he's not uh, he's yeah. not doing it really to save Frank. He's doing it just to like be uh, obstinate the... to the Nazis, right? Yeah, but there's an aspect to it of like, oh, you know, one guy could like you could save one life, you know? Like I think there is that kind of uh, aspect to it as well. It's a little bit of a bureaucratic disobedience, but yeah. But I, I think I think though this idea that Philip K. Dick believes in is like grand actor theory of uh history, you know, history is like shaped by great, you know, people, men, I guess in this case. I, I think I think the book kind of like I mean, I think the book kind of like lends into that. Well, I guess it's like it sort of cuts in both directions, though, right? Like if you read the sort of like politics of the present day in the book, it seems to be about like everyone's like gossiping about like who's going to be the next chancellor, and then in the grasshopper lies heavy. The way they read that too, it is also about like oh, like Churchill was like this and Tugwell was like that, but then like it sort of cuts against the grain of like the characters of the story, who it's like they're all kind of like more or less regular people. Um, and yeah. it's like these accumulation of choices, like to go be not signing the document that would like send Frank to his death, you know, or Juliana deciding to like, you know, stab uh, the Nazi guy, you know, <laughs> and, like all these like little choices that actually do have all these like different, you know, sort of ripple effects on history, whether it's like Frank Freak survives so he can make, you know, the art to give to children and like children decides not to just mass produce the garbage uh, so that he can now actually create the sort of new American culture. Like, you know, so it's kind of like going in two directions. It's hard to tell if like, PKD is making fun of like the sort of like 
grand character theory of history in the way that like some people in the book talk about it versus he's definitely like, having fun you know, with this sort of like definitely playing with it. like i, I okay yeah. I'll, I'll take your point he's, he's certainly let's not say believe in it that he's certainly playing with it like he plays with it like yeah. Chur- churchill and roosevelt surviving are, are really pivotal parts of uh yeah but it's not 1984 where the end result is like oh you can't do anything to escape the system like i don't get that vibe from it right no so like i do you do get like juliana has you know her actions have consequences and you know yeah and and uh, the japanese german cold war feels a lot like 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 ours you know (laughs) i mean that's what was interesting kind of what you're just saying about i like this idea that it's like oh we're in this kind of dystopian future but a lot of dystopian science fiction is um, everyday life is just like horrible and raining down on you. And all you can think about is Big Brother. Whereas this is just like people just get jobs and go on with their lives. You know, and it's yeah. like their life, their, their, their world's horrible in some ways. And it's like they like it in other ways. And they're just like, they just keep going, you know, which is well, like, it's just. It's again, it's a colonial subject. Are. I think Philip Dick like, actually understood like a lot like about just, like colonialism. <laughs> like, like. That's that's that's. I mean, that's that's what it is. They're subjugated and they're exploited, but like a lot of their lives are just doldrum, right? <laughs> but it's the same with you know with the way we live. It's just like, but they just, they do. Know, you live under the conditions you live under, and you just go about your life. Yeah, and that's that's horrifying too. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk about life in here. There is there is kind of like they all talk about this like emptiness and this like horrifyingness, and like many characters talk about how at least the Nazis have like soul or something. Like how they, like they yeah. mentioned that many times. That's like really weird. Um, also, this like idea that like the Nazis like they do all these like grand like projects. Like they drain the Mediterranean for agricultural land. Yeah. They like completely eradicate Africa. Like yeah, they just eradicate Africa, and then like they they colonize the stars. But the Japanese like. Yeah don't have that technology but at the same time in the grasshopper lies heavy there's one scene where they're talking about television how it like educates everyone in east asia educates all the chinese like the americans are educating all the chinese with television and like she's like wow isn't that amazing and there's one point where they talk about televisions like this like invention in europe and this is the 60s right they don't have television yeah it's like the idea that like if america like on our world we're like america you know and takes over we got entertainment man like when Joe <laughs> is complaining about the music and stuff like that, he says like the book industry is a cartel. All the music they have is like horrible propaganda music and stuff like that. Like all the art sucks. That's why the Japanese love the uh, Americana, right? Like they love the, the historical stuff. But like basically all the art sucks, all the entertainment technology, like TV and radio, like are not advanced, but they can go to space. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's a <laughs> wild, like alternative thing. Like the, like if the Nazis like won, we could have gone to Mars, but but we wouldn't have HBO. <laughs> yeah, I also like how that's personified in that ca- the character, like the very brief character of that German artist, who like the guy, the the the, oh, the sort yeah. of internal German whistleblower who's pretending to be Swiss, who actually comes to to Gomi to tell him that the Germans are planning to destroy the Japanese, yeah, and yeah, yeah, and he yeah. meets this like German artist on the plane who's just like a total vapid propagandist and he's just like so like shitty to him like it kind of a uh it's 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 this it's kind of rewarding to like read <laughs> you know yeah, like yeah 
I don't know. I thought that was interesting. It kind yeah. of talks to what you're talking about. It's like, this is what art is under the, under the Nazi regime. Which is sort of funny. Like if you think about PKD's career where it's like, he is like the Swedish agent and he thinks like literary publishing that loves like John Updike is like the fascist guy on the plane. It just wants <laughs> yeah, to tell yeah, him yeah. like, ah, actually I'm a Jew and you can't do anything about it. Ha ha ha. All, <laughs> all you have is Bob Hope in Canada <laughs> making jokes about like, yeah, yeah. And stuff. It's like the best thing you got. Sounds horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that the only reference to Canada? Um, there's, so it's strange. There's I, a couple I just, others. They mentioned yeah. Canada a few times. Strangely, Canada is an independent country. Like, I don't, yeah. know, I don't think you thought about it very much. Um, I have the Kindle version of it right now. I can search it. But like, Canada is like not a colony. Okay. Yeah. It's mentioned once. Uh, Okay, here, here's the mention of it. All right. Okay, so it's on page uh, 80 of 278. And he says, uh, the Nazis have no sense of humor. So why should they want television? Anyhow, they killed most of the really great comedians because most of them were Jewish. In fact, she realized they killed off most of the entertainment field. I wonder how Hope, Bob Hope, gets away with what he says. Of course, he has to broadcast from Canada. And it's a little freer up there. Oh, boy. I don't know where to start with that, with that passage. <laughs> That's wild, man. I mean, there's also the... So as you were just talking about the thing about the Nazis just kind of wiping out Africa and all this other stuff, another central plot point of the book is now they're also planning to destroy Japan, is it? Or is it the Pacific United States? Yeah. yeah no, they want to nuke the, the Japanese this, islands. They want to yeah, nuke the emperor. Operation Yeah, Dandelion. so it's kind of this... There's this hopelessness of it, of just like, I think Philip K. Dick is just, is just pursuing, like, what is the logical endpoint of this? Like... You know, Africans can't exist anymore. The Japanese can't exist anymore. It's just kind of looks like destruction upon destruction upon destruction. Yeah, that's that's what that's what Bane in the end of in the end of the Bane storyline. Um, he's he's he talks about explicitly that he's like this this ideology that's constantly seeking like enemies or like this pure this purity ideology. Yeah, it will just inherently kill itself. Like eventually, it's just going to kill. It needs an enemy. Yeah, yeah it's going to have to keep going out into like the solar system to like destroy stuff he talks about it. i thought it was really interesting and i thought it like it was like yeah it's really great it's hard not to like read like today's politics into it right like yeah he calls it the internecine hate and he says they will eat <laughs> one another at last and then leave the rest of us here and there in the world still alive still enough of us more to build and hope and make a few simple plans so he still he still thinks like this kind of this message of hope that like even like in this like nazi future like some people will survive somehow that's wild. It's cool. Take up. A plus. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, we, we should probably wrap Great this book because I, I got to go see. What, I, do, I do what do you guys think of the book? Yeah, I think it's, I really like it. I think this is the first, this is the second time I read this book, but I think it's the first Philip K. Dick book that I actually read. Not like I didn't see it as like a movie first or anything like that. Um, and yeah, I think it's really good. I think it's really interesting because it's not exactly a sci-fi. It's like kind of sci-fi. It's more like this kind of like, I don't really know what to call it, but it's like this kind of, you know, this like fictionalization of like arguments about history. Um, so it's kind of a weird one to start with with uh, with uh, Philip K. Dick, I think. But I don't know. I think it's a really great book. I think like the way that he juggles like five different storylines is great. I think like how he has fun with some of the counterfactual history and like what happens to these people if things go differently is like, you know, it's like all these, you know, good Easter eggs for like history and that, all that kind of stuff. I, I think he's like taking some big swings. Like uh, you're talking about before in terms of like um, 
how uh, Tilden sort of speaks, you know, in this sort of like Japanified English and, um, you know, the sort of counterfactual history is being different than the one we live in and all that stuff. I don't know. I think it's a great book. I think it's, it's you know, it's a fun read. It's a quick read. And uh, it's a lot to think about, right? It's like, it's almost like you finish reading this book and then you're like, okay, I actually have like, going to spend way more time thinking about it than I actually did reading it, which I think is, you know, pretty good sign for a book. I basically agree with all of that. I'm just like, it was, yeah, it's an easy read, but there's just these little things that kind of stick with you and you're just like, doesn't quite, sometimes the fact, what I was saying about the ending earlier and how it kind of annoyed me at first, like I think it worked in its favor and it kind of stuck in my brain and I kept trying to work it out and kind of build a universe around it. It's good. Yeah, I first read this book like over a decade ago and I don't think I read it very carefully because I remembered all the eating parts. I remembered the fake like historicity thing, but I, I didn't remember some of the finer parts of the uh, alternate history and I did not at all catch the Mr. Tagomi part where he sees the freeway and he actually like enters uh, an alternate reality <laughs> for a moment. Like I didn't catch that because I don't know anything about San Francisco. So I didn't know about that. Um, I thought he just like wandered into like a white part of San Francisco and like had never seen it before. I'm just having like uh, a moment of realization about like the nature of power, especially like this like racialized power or like colonial power. Like that's what I thought happened. I didn't realize he like actually like exited history like into the city's like freeway, which like it is awesome. But um, yeah, so I don't, I, what, what I'm trying to say is I don't think I read it very carefully, but after the second reading, like, I, I love this book. I think this book is great. Like it's like, it's got all these like pulpy elements. It's like a thriller. Like all the scenes with like uh, Joe and Juliana, I thought were like actually very suspenseful. Like I was like actually kind of worried about what's yeah. going to happen and her plot line was just going to get to the high castle and stuff. I was like very interesting. Uh, but the standout um, where Togomi kills the German uh, police officers with the revolver, I thought was like I was like I was like really tense. Like I couldn't stop like flipping the pages. Um, and all the like the scene with Childan and Paul discussing the nature of like new art and this like war of historicity. This almost like Walter Benjamin, as you pointed out in our chat, Jacob, uh, like or of history, I thought was like really well done. And this like, this like, the, the, like Childan's like uh, uncertainty about how to proceed about like his own like ideas of integrity and like how he ultimately, I think decides to defend these art objects for like the wrong reasons is like, uh, really interesting and like ties in this greater theme history like and also just like the fun parts about the alternate history like these like you know fun hating nazis can like colonize mars but they can't like you know have good comedians and stuff like that like and uh all the alternate history in grasshopper lies heavy with like churchill becoming a despot or like roosevelt surviving like, all stuff is just really interesting i think it's like a really really great book um the ending felt a bit hasty to me but like it was fine yeah it's great i really i really enjoyed this book i think it's really good and even the prose uh like jacob you pointed out like it's very like ambitious with the prose what i described like the yeah. japanese parts and uh i think it kind of works like, i think it works pretty well i think it's a really great book uh i really enjoyed it and uh yeah i kind of want to revisit the tv show now because it's uh i don't think it's, it's maybe we could watch it like, a couple episodes we could have it podcast about that i don't remember liking it very much i i i, I, point, I watched but... like three episodes of it i hated it but now i'm kind of interested <laughs> in it. yeah i don't know well like uh, we, we, that's why we have to watch it and do an episode because it's like from what i recall i think they like totally missed the point of the book and they were kind of like yeah wouldn't it be kind of like weird and crazy if the nazis won <laughs> it's like, but it has these, like, but it has, but it has the alternate <laughs> realities thing except that like 
I think it's more, it's less of like a, it's less of like a poignant device. Uh, sorry, sorry yeah. a poignant sort of like reflection on our own ideas of history and stuff like that. Whereas it's actually like a plot device where they can like contact the other reality. Like, yeah, uh, like they really, like, I think they really, like, they really didn't get what was going on in this book, or they did get it and they just rewrote it to make like a five season TV show out of it. And it's kind of like, you know, do I really need to see this like Nazi guy with his family and like he likes his family? And it's like, oh, like, I guess if the Nazis took over Boston, there'd be like normal Boston people living their lives, but they'd just be dressed in like Lederhosen and looking to kill Jews all the time. But then, you know, that, that would just be their job, you know? Like, just, it's just a job to them. Like, you know, but he loves his kids. Uh, you know, like, it's like really weird. Like, it's a really strange show. Yeah, he might be a Nazi, but he's a father of daughters. All right. Uh, what are we reading next, Ubik? Uh, well, sorry, we have a short story and then we have a okay. book. Okay, I want to okay. read so the schedule is so we're bad. Gonna, we're going to do a, a novel every month because that's all I can handle, right. and then uh, like yeah. something shorter in between a short story. Or something I want to read. I want to read Ubik so bad right now. Though. Okay, so we're going to do Ubik next, and in between we'll do something else. Electric Ant, I think the short. Electric story. Ant is a very good story. Okay. I have no idea. I've never heard of any of these stories, John. You just you liked that one, so I put it in the spreadsheet. Do you want like any oh, yeah, spoilers, like thematically or anything? No. That was Book Show, a show about books. Music and editing by Kevin Sexton. You can find John running a campaign for the re-election of Rexford Tuckwell. Jacob is contemplating the horror of contemporary urban planning. The horror. The horror. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.